And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 45 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, September 22nd, 2014. Well, the inbound conference was last week, and so what's there left to do now? I mean, you could explore your shiny new HubSpot CRM system, you could figure out a way to buy some Alibaba stock, or you could figure out how long it's going to take to get your new iPhone 6, or how long it will be to download iOS 8 to all your devices. But in the meantime, while you're pondering all of that, why not sit back and enjoy something that's delivered to you faithfully every week with a bow on time? You can always get your PNR dose of this old marketing by subscribing via iTunes or Stitcher. And as always, stop by the blog post on Saturdays at thisoldmarketing.com where you'll find all the links to the news and everything we talk about here. Okay, it's time to get this show rocking and rolling and welcome my colleague, my co-host and good, good friend coming from Cleveland, Ohio, coming off of what I'm assuming was a never-ending food truck line at the inbound conference. Please welcome the only guy I'd camp out to meet, the iPhone 6 Plus of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? How was inbound? You know, first of all, I was flattered to get asked. So because what I, I, well, yeah, my invitation must have gotten lost. I think it's, yeah, it's on the way. Uh, it'll just be a little <laughs> bit late. No, I mean it was. Right. It was di- actually. Uh, I just read an article from Mark Schaefer, who spoke at both events, and he gave a very thoughtful overview. I think of both. In very well executed event inbound. I mean, they said they had uh, ten thousand plus people. They probably did. It's just a different experience than content marketing world because the the Boston Convention Center is cavernous. It's huge. Right. It took me 15 minutes. I've been there. It's huge. Yeah, it took me 15 minutes to get from one session to another. It's very hard to network, but they're going after something completely different, I think, than we're trying to do it at Content Marketing World. But, you know, they put on I, – I was uh, – they had me do a, a what they call a bold talk, which is like a TED talk, where I I did a little right. bit of a personal talk on my goal, how I do goal setting and things like that. So it was good. Uh, unfortunately, of all the keynotes, I only saw the Martha Stewart keynote, and yeah. I'll just say this: I've never seen Twitter hatred go so rampant wow. than when be, because that's really that's what happened. So everybody is is watching Martha. Martha. It's unfortunate because she has such a great opportunity, but she went um, – the angle was sort of uh, promotional, it seemed. Here's here's all the great stuff I'm doing, not as much about here's what I've done and here's what you can learn from it. And it, the, twit, the tweet, tweet started to go in the app, in the inbound app as well as outside, and then everybody's attention went to that and people just were rude. I mean it was it was terrible. I felt bad. For the whole situation, oh actually. my gosh! And they had a, I mean, they had a great crowd for for Martha, and a lot of people left, and it was just unfortunate. Outside of that, from the most part, from what I could tell, the sessions were good. I did, I just missed the other keynotes. I didn't get in in time. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell and and Simon Sinek were the other two. Uh, yeah, and I heard they did very very well. But yeah, it's just I read a write up of the I read a write up of the Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell one, and it was it was really good. I I I, I like the topic. I would have liked to have seen I, it again. I guess my invitation got lost in the mail. I'm 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 a little sad. Well, I'm, I don't think you'll get to go next year either, and neither will I. No, so, probably not. And, and for those of you listening, uh, I mean, we've known this for for a few weeks, but for those of you listening, 
inbound is at the same time as Content Marketing World next year, September 8th dun, or 11th. Dun, dun. Choices, choices, choices. It's just unfortunate. I think it's unfortunate for both of us. There's not a, a lot of overlap in audience because obviously Content Marketing World, we're targeting more complex, just content marketing, more complex issues, uh, more enterprise companies. Uh, then I think that most of the people I met at Inbound were smaller companies, smaller agencies for the most part, it right. seemed. But still, I mean, we, we have a lot of overlap in speakers, and it's just unfortunate that the two biggest content-oriented events during the year actually fall in the same week next year. It just shake my head about the whole thing. So, Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? I don't know. Hey, well, well, well before right. we get on, congrats to your Cowboys. And Oh, thank you very much. Yes, yes, it was a good week. It was a, it's, it's a good week in the Rose household, that's for sure, <laughs> when, uh, you know, largest comeback uh, in Cowboy history. So how about that? That was very good. Right. And I was at the Browns game where we lost in the last second. I, I <laughs> you know, hey, all know. three weeks, so all three weeks, it, the, the were decided in the last few seconds, and we've got one win out of it, and... We just have to learn how to win. That's the biggest thing right yeah. now. So, Exactly. All right. Well, speaking of learning how to win, let's move on to the news. And first news up to is a really interesting story. We've covered stories like this before, but I think this one's actually a little different. The headline is that Tribune, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Tribune is a very, very large publisher here in the U.S. Um, they're the owner of major newspapers, including the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, um, and they have just been around for a long, long time. And this article comes from Ad Age, where they announced the Tribune basically is going to invest and take a minority stake in a company called Contend, uh, a content marketing shop. So they're basically setting up a dedicated content marketing shop that's going to work with Tribune Publishing on making videos, I guess, for the for the outset, but probably content of all types, I would suspect, but making videos for advertisers. So what did you make of this, Joe? Well, I have to put my, you know, I have to put my publishing hat on when I see this. There's there's a couple <laughs> there's a couple things in this article that I need to point out. The article from Ad Age, which is a good article, talks about it they but they talk about the fact that this is sort of a new thing like tribune buying contend and they they came up with what was the right. other example that oh they they used meredith accelerated that's right which was like right. meredith bought a lot of different agencies and whatnot and they say this is rather rare it's actually not rare i mean even no it's actually becoming i mean they're one of the last i would think to, to actually do this i mean if you look at i mean i was at penton media for years and just a few years ago before meredith well about the same time meredith started getting into their thing uh penton bought a shop from called i traffic i believe out of atlanta georgia and did the same thing and integrated their services their content marketing and digital marketing services uh with penton custom media which i used to run at the time so i mean the, right. the, the i have a problem with the article from that perspective because that was just clearly wrong the the other thing is just onto the bigger issue of publishing companies creating content marketing services this is a problem, I think, that first first of all, it's an opportunity as a whole about most publishing companies, about 10% of their overall revenues go toward content marketing services or marketing services of some kind. The problem is, is that they're valued at a lower basis than it is when you create an asset. If you have a brand and you create an asset and subscribers and an audience over that, that's valued at a much higher level. So if Tribune puts their money into this, this is where I want to get your take, Robert. If Tribune puts their money into this, which is I think is a good plan, and they're starting to build 
content marketing programs for customers and learning how to do this. The problem is they're building this by helping their customers be more effective communicating, but they're not building overall assets for Tribune. And I always, I would like to see them do both. I would like to see, and maybe they're gonna going to, where this contend video services would start to build their own audiences even more. So they're not just saying, look, Tribune, we've got a great audience. Let's go out and build uh, video assets and content assets for our customers and help them reach our audience. And in the same time, it's all kinds of issues there. I think. I mean, what's your what's your take with that? I, I, well, I look. I, I think so. Two things. One, to respond to what you just said, I think I, I think you're right. I th- you know I, I would like to think that they're being that strategic about things, um, and I suspect they're not. Um, you know, I suspect that this is a, a this is a, a reaction to the second point I'm going to make, which is agencies are still not getting this. Um, you know, and, and just two data points, uh, you know, along that spectrum is, is one, I can, I still get emails probably one a week from agencies that are trying to figure out how to put together services around content marketing, um, for publishers. And by the way, for regular brands as well. Um, most of them are still stuck in this sort of executional stage, right? Where they equate content marketing to managing the social channels, um, or, you know, providing blog posts or writing white papers. And I can tell you one very large brand that we've worked with got a proposal from an agency that was like, you know, here's a handful of here. We'll do a handful of Twitter posts for you. We'll do one, you know, one blog post per quarter, um, and we'll do a white paper, you know, every half year, and we'll charge you six figures a year to do that. It's like that's just, you know, that's the agencies have to get out of that mindset, that campaign oriented, you know, never ending trough of money mindset, and get into the strategy of creating media assets that actually mean something to the brand, mm-hmm. and. I think that's the gap right now that that publishers are trying to fill, and they're and they're rightly, I think, trying to cut the middleman out. They're trying to say, "Look, why would we go to agencies when we can just provide this service to our advertisers directly?" Now, to your point, I don't think they're doing a terribly great job of saying, "Hey, let's look at the end game here. What we could be doing is we could be taking this agency and actually building new publishing and owned media assets that are actually valuable in and of themselves for us, and actually giving." brands the opportunity to sponsor it and actually doing something really interesting with that i maybe somebody will figure out how to do that but i haven't seen it uh uh sort of i, I well i haven't seen it. well yet. i mean we talked a little bit before and we you know we met with the the good folks at, at demand media at content marketing world because on this show we talked about demand media and they were yeah. listening and they said joe you don't know <laughs> about what we're doing right. at Demand Media. But Demand Media has done that where they, like, they've like they created like Livestrong and eHow and whatever, and then right. they create the assets, and then they do what you're, what you're talking about in addition to that. But the, the thing that concerned me, and there's one part of this where they talk about this 435 Digital, which was Tribune's marketing service agency. It says, which right. initially sought to work with businesses on social media, but shifted to help with everything from basic web design to search marketing. I think that's a huge mistake. Like, I think if Tribune's going to do this, they focus on how to help their customers tell better stories and integrate with their platform around storytelling, content creation, uh, content marketing, and not say, oh, we can help you create a website and help you do PPC. I think that's a 
I think they should leave that to agencies, and I, I just don't think that's a good use of I think you're just going down the rabbit hole if you're a publishing company I, and you do that. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think this is, I mean, this is going to feed into my rant, which is later in the show, of course, but this is exactly right. So, you know, they've got to get out of this mindset that it's about designing a website. It's, it has nothing to do with designing a website. I mean, that is such a, this goes right back to that thing that I raved about last week, which was, um, Tom Goodwin, who was a CEO of an agency, who said basically this is marketing with a small M. This is small marketing. If we're thinking about designing little websites now instead of solving big problems for clients, it's just that's not the answer, right? It's not it's not about managing the Twitter stream or managing a Facebook page or building websites. It's about how do you mm-hmm. get in and infuse content and storytelling and and all of the things that content marketing represents as part of a business function that's that is infused into the entirety of the business and that's just a that's a fundamental shift and there's an opportunity to do that but it's not being realized yet but certainly not by these guys yeah i would just send out so i i like the direction the tribune's taking i don't have any problem with it it's a great experimentation but, but i'll tell you what you can really i think there's a lot of wrong moves that can be made if they focus so much on marketing services for their customers and not more on because it's two different me it's the agency model and the business media model they're very very different business models and, right. and what we're, what really what we're seeing the Tribune publishing and the New York Times and we'll talk about Wall Street Journal in a little bit what we're seeing is you're seeing a uh, a mashup of both of those and I I right. think the jury is out yet whether or not that's going to work do you know this Jack Griffin, the the, C, the CEO? I do not know Mr. Griffin. Okay, he's not. I mean, yeah, I was supposed to have coffee with him the other day, but he blew <laughs> me off. <No. laughs> I just thought since he, you know, I, the publishing is such a small business that you knew. No, tri- I mean, Tribune has actually been a sponsor of Content Marketing Institute things yeah. in and of and around. They were a sponsor of Content Marketing World last year, but I have not yet had the opportunity to meet Mr. Griffin. But I've got a lot of thoughts for him. When we do, all right. So there you well, go. I know. I, I, there so. you are. Well, they, and nobody called us to get. I mean, I see that they asked Outsell for their opinion on this, but nobody, nobody called us. Hmm. That must have got caught. That, right. That's the same place your inbound. Met, uh, I know. It's a, it's, I'm, I got to check my spam <laughs> filter. Yeah, I got to check my. You've spam been filter invited to all, all these... these events. You just you got some kind of uh, spam <laughs> right. blocker. That's maybe it's in my Facebook other folder. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever go into that? By the way, I have. It's a very oh scary my place. Gosh, I had no idea. I saw somebody post. Yeah. I was like I went to my same here. I'm like, oh, I, I better check I that like, out. I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, I had no idea. I know. It's a it's a very scary place in there. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, if I wanted to go to Thailand, I guess I could have a good time. But but uh, otherwise, <laughs> well, maybe I'll just leave exactly. that there. All right, moving on. And speaking of fun legal things, now this is a fun article. Um, so, in a move that is surely uh, making John Oliver smile, and those who really despise the idea of native advertising, ding 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 ding. Um, the headline comes also from Ad Age, uh, coincidentally. Personal injury lawyers are now in native ads, and look out, because here they come. And so in, a, in what the Ad Age called a bold display of native advertising, personal injury firm that represents the victims of General Motors um, had done uh, two sponsored stories in the Daily Mail website, Mail Online, last week. 
And so if you go look at the image, it's, 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 it's as native advertising as native advertising gets. Um, other than they, and AdAge also notes this, that they actually misspell the client's name. In the, always a good in thing. The actual, yeah, always a good thing. You know, always always going to be uh, good for your, for your experimentation there. Um, and interestingly, I, I think this is, this is one of those things that will, you know, we kept, we've kept predicting that for some time there's going to be somebody and do a massive you know, hashtag fail here. This might not be the massive hashtag fail, but I think this is about as hashtag fail as it gets. I mean, this is this is likely the thing that will be pointed to as part of the example of why native advertising is just never going to work. What do you? I mean, what did you think? I the when I saw this, I said, "Here we go." And and, and yeah. by the way, you're going to see more of this, and you're going to see more brands, publishing brands out there, do this. And they're going to experiment with it, and you, I totally understand the experimentation. But boy, what does this what does this do to the male online brand? I mean, that's that's the problem. I mean, when it's the same thing that happened to Forbes, right? When you when right. you when you see a Forbes link in Twitter in your Twitter feed, and you look at it, and you look at the title, and say, "Oh," but then you say you see that it's from Forbes, you, you're not as as um, at you might not share that, right? You're like, oh, that's I don't know. It might be. It could be contributed. It's probably not from a a Forbes regular contributor, and it might actually be uh, a, a native advertising post. So I think that's right. the problem we have, and this gets into. I love it. it says ambulance chaser advertising. I know. <laughs> what a oh good, my gosh! Amazing so... line. Yeah, I mean, this is where this is where we're going to, and the the problem here is is it. I don't think it. It th- I think that it can do good. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that this probably worked fairly well for the law firm. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe I guess the, the jury is <laughs> the jury is out on yeah. that one. But I, it can't. I mean, it didn't help that they also surrounded the entire <clears throat> the the entire article with banner ads too. You know, you know I mean, it's like it's almost a homepage takeover. Exactly. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's very clear that it's sponsored, and I, that's probably one of the reasons why they did it. But I want to get your take on this, and I was thinking about. The infomercial, right? Like we've been seeing this forever. Infomercials have been going on forever. But I think the difference is, is like if I'm on NBC and it's three in the morning and I'm looking at a Ginsu knife infomercial or something like that, the difference is, is that it's being distributed by NBC, but it you, NBC is not in and around it. It's not, you know, it's it's being paid for all that kind of stuff. The difference here is that MailOnline.com is right at the top. My brand is right at the top, being mixed right. all in with the advertiser's brand. I think that isn't That's that right. the difference. Do you, I mean, I, I I would think so. Yeah, I mean, because look, here's the difference, right? I, I what I've started to notice, and you know, I'm. Much to my wife's dismay, I'm actually a guy who actually watches the commercials um, on TV because for the obvious reason, it's what I do for a living and I actually kind of weirdly enjoy it. I've, as I've been watching, uh, like I'll watch the morning news shows, right, with a, um, you know, with, you know, with the sets and they have the, they're talking and they're talking about the news. And I've started to notice that recently there's been commercials that get inserted, which the commercial itself is two people sitting on a set talking to each other about something, right? It might be real estate or it might be home security or it's a commercial. It's a one minute long spot, but it's meant to look like a talk show so that you do go, you go, Oh wait, is this the talk show or is this the, is this the actual, is this an ad or what? And it's a little, you know, 
not disconcerting, but it's it's certainly their effort at what I would think of as sort of a native advertising type of thing yeah. where, where they're trying to. But here's the thing. They haven't duplicated the NBC Today Show set or the CBS Morning Show set and sort of thrown the CBS logo all over the walls and stuff. It's very clearly a different thing, right? And so here what we have is an article that for all intents and purposes should look like the daily or the, the the daily mail right it should look like this this website and not feature all of the different you know ads for you know the banner ads and all the stuff but because of you know because as a marketer you know to your point they probably did all well so if i'm the marketing guy at whites in luxembourg i'll take that all day long if you're going to give it to me sure i'll take it I, i'll you know, I'll align my brand with the Daily Mail and stick my news item up there and try and get it past you. Of course, I'm going to try and do that. That's that. That's marketers trying to game the system to the extent that they can. And it's publishers sort of acquiescing this power of their brand and saying, you know what, it's it's we don't believe in it enough to fight you on this. And that's where I think native, native advertising will, will, will really have its downfall is that publishers won't have the backbone to say, no, it has to meet certain editorial guidelines and it has to meet certain standards for us to even consider it. I'm surprised they approve this, actually. I mean, I get the reason why. I mean, even in the article, they go on and talk about how former BuzzFeed executive John Steinberg is really, you know, says, hey, we're the little guy. We need to be super flexible. We're going to try this kind of stuff. But, the, I mean, they even have the listing of the General Motors cars, on the left and the right side, <laughs> and a big one eight hundred number. Call us now, and I mean, it's, it's like the asbestos of the past, or the what's what's that uh, the big long disease, cephalothelioma, or something like that. I can't. Good for you. For yeah, that. whatever. Yeah. It's a, this. It's the same type of thing. I'm just. I'm just. I'm surprised they let this go. This is this is probably the wor- the furthest right example that you can think of. Um, it's it's just not good. Yeah, it's not. I mean, for those who are <clears throat> fans of 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 Native advertising, this is not a good waypoint uh, on the journey for sure. I think you have to have your own editorial standards and say, look, and that's the problem, right? It's like, when is no and no? The, the ad salesperson that brought this one in is saying, look, this is fine. This is educational. The GM thing is out there. It's newsworthy. It makes perfect sense to cover it. And of course, it wants, you know, this, this law firm wants to cover it. Why not? But then you look at this and you're like, this, this you don't want mailonline.com. Integrated exactly with this at all. I mean, this is this is the this is the quintessential example of what Doug Kessler was talking about in his blog of a couple of weeks ago, where he talked about how this is just going to erode the trust of of any any journalistic. I mean, I don't. I'm not sure how much the Daily Mail's trust is was there to begin with. I'm I'm not a you know, I don't uh, you know I don't read the Daily Mail, so I'm not really familiar with it. But I, I'm I'm certain that it doesn't help. <laughs> No, I do. And well, this is why you need, if you're going to do native ad- advertising, you need very clear guidelines on approval. And, you know, well, I, we'll see how the test goes. Maybe they'll come back and say, it was a big hit. But I can't think, I can't, <laughs> right. I can't think of, of the readers of Mail Online uh, being more um, affiliated with Mail Online because of, or they, they like the brand yeah. more, or they're going to look for more content like this. I just can't see it happening. I think it's going to hurt. That's right. All right, moving on then. Uh, here's a really interesting article that comes. It's a little old, uh, and but in our run-up to content marketing world, we missed this, and I thought it was an interesting one for us to chat a little bit about because people might have read it, and <clears throat> quite frankly, 
like put some stock into it, and I want to make sure that we have a exactly. chance to rant on it a little bit. Um, this comes from Marketing Land, and, and uh, marketing it's not Marketing Land we're going to rant on here, but uh, uh, it's actually – the headline is Fortune 500 blogging down 3% this year is the first drop in seven years. And they're basically saying that corporate blogging – this comes from a study that they're reporting on from the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth uh, and the Center for Marketing Research – and it's a study that I guess they've conducted for some time now about Fortune 500 corporations uh, with public-facing corporate blogs and how many of them actually have one. And this this article bothered me so for so many reasons, most of which is because there's nowhere in here where I can actually get a definition of what they call a blog because I happen to know for a fact that a couple of that they actually mention explicitly do have blogs. I mean, because I've seen them. And so... But what is a corporate blog? I'm not sure. And the one that made the, what made me laugh so much is because they're saying that Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest is up. And actually, so they're saying that only 34% of the Fortune 500 have a corporate blog, but 51% have a Foursquare presence. I mean, and, and 38% have a Google Plus presence. I, I'm just uh, that one is it. It, this one's a little. I, I'm calling shenanigans on on this on this study. What did you think? Of well, <laughs> I'm calling shenanigans. Absolutely, um, the, uh, I'm calling shenanigans. Well, so I'm looking in the methodology. So I clicked on the link to get the methodology for this, and it says a company was counted as having. Oh, you actually? Oh, clicked I clicked through. through. You I read did, it like proper I wanted, like, journalist I, research and I, stuff. I did my research. I made the call. Wow. It says That's more it than says I, it. More uh, than a company was counted as having a blog if they had a public space, public space facing. Sorry, corporate blog for the primary corporation with current posts. But what's so? There's a lot of issues here. So first of all. I'm assuming the researcher had to go and they it had to have something like blog at the top where somebody could actually see that there's a blog. First of all, a lot of people don't call their blog. A blog is just, it's online web publishing today. Right. That's like you, right. you're not going to necessarily call a blog a blog. And I'll give you a really good example. So they say three, what is it? Uh let's go back to this article here. Two of the top yeah. is it three of the top 5 two of the, two of the top 5 have a blog, Walmart and ExxonMobil, and, and then three don't. Chevron, Berkshire Hathaway and Apple. Okay, I can And Apple, I happen to know Apple does have a blog. It's not necessarily a corporate blog, but they've got developer blogs, they've got all kinds of blogs. Okay, a Apple. bunch of blogs. Yeah, and then it's funny they said Berkshire Hathaway's on that list. Well, Berkshire Hathaway is a holding company. And I know for a fact that Lubrizol, a holding company of Berkshire Hathaway, or a company that's owned by them, and then Geico, both have multiple blogs. So there's another one. And Chevron, Chevron has a number of content initiatives that if you wanted to really look at it, you could call it using a blogging technology. So I guess it sure. depends on what do you consider a corporate blog? Is a corporate, are they using it as a news feed? This is, a, there's no way to win this. What you need to ask them is, and kind of what we do with our content marketing research is, do you use a blog as part of your content marketing strategies? And the number is about 80% do. Right. I'm sure 80% of the Fortune 500 have a blog that they're using for some corporate initiative. If you just called it a corporate blog and you need to go to the About Us page and see, oh, here's our corporate blog and here's where we talk about stuff, then maybe that is that 30-some percent, but it's a completely meaningless stat. I don't know what good this does anybody. 
Right. Well, and so here's, I mean, so how many did we have at Content Marketing World of the Fortune 100? We had 36 of the Fortune 100 we had at that event. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, already, I mean, they're not coming to Content Marketing World because they don't have something working. I mean, something with with content marketing going. Um, And and it may not be a corporate news feed, but I I guarantee you those companies have WordPress installed somewhere. I mean, they're doing something. They're just – It's been for the last few years the number has been fluctuated between like 73% and 80%. So that that, that are using blogging technology for something. I think that that's the issue where you can't just say, do you have a corporate blog? Because they might not have it shown. It's almost like in the days of if you were looking for somebody's custom magazine – and if you just looked at the newsstand or you just looked out in the open and said, well, does IBM have a corporate magazine? You know what? You probably couldn't find it unless you're one of their audience that's getting it because it's a targeted initiative. You wouldn't know. Right. You wouldn't. That's and so right. that's the issue. You just can't go. You have to really put a lot of researchers to it and find it and talk to customers and really get into detail. You just can't somebody view and say, oh, they don't list corporate blogs, so there's not one. So. Yeah, exactly. My favorite here is at the very end, uh, uh, and I just have to call this out just because it's it's funny. Uh, the end of the article says, in addition to the 38% with active Google Plus accounts, there's another 19% that have accounts that aren't active. And the quote is, this is the only platform studied where there were a significant number of open but inactive accounts, the researchers said. It may be that corporations are still learning about Google Plus or haven't found the best use of this platform in their social media mix yet. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I don't think Google Plus has found the right mix for their for their for their platform, much less any any brands. Well, here, I, I think it's here's just another thing. So, you, if you look at the top one, so Twitter, eighty three percent have tweeted from their Twitter account, eighty percent right. of. I would really like them to take one more step and look at what they're tweeting out and what they're posting on Facebook. Right. I almost guarantee you that a good portion of those posts are coming from their blog. Where else are they going? It may be very true, yeah. It may and, and and it may just be literally their 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 press release feed, but but it, it you know talking about themselves, but it, it's yeah. something uh, shenanigans, shenanigans. <laughs> I call shenanigans. I call all right yeah. then. Um, on to a much better story uh, and an interesting one, um, and this one uh, uh, comes to us by by business to community, um, which. It's a really interesting uh, story, not the least of which because of the meta nature of what we're about to talk about here. But the headline is Podcasting and Audio, the Next Great Content Marketing Tool. And the article goes through this author's sort of personal uh, experience and the way that he experiences blogs and, or excuse me, uh, podcasts and, and, and audio on a week-to-week basis, um, listens to a couple of the blogs that are uh, podcasts that I actually listen to. Uh, every week, this week in tech, um, and uh, Harvard Business Review's HBR IdeaCast, which are which are two great podcasts, by the way. And then he talks through sort of a little bit of the history of of podcasting, and then really sort of tees up this idea of calling podcasting the missing marketing channel. And I know this is something that we talked a little bit about at Content Marketing World, but I wanted to get your take on this because it seems like podcasting and audio is sort of hip again. Uh, what do you it's think? It's amazing. I think the, the biggest issue here, of course, podcasting has been around since forever, it seems. Yeah. But the, the issue is is that it's easily – I don't know what you want to call it. You can easily access access 
podcast today more than ever before, and it's getting easier. This one-click subscription to podcast where you've got the apps on your iPhone or your Samsung Galaxy where you can quickly get to them, you can quickly search for them. It's not hard to get them anymore. And, and not, not yeah. that it was well. And there's a podcasting app in iOS. I just updated to iOS eight over the weekend, and and it's it's there. It's right there. I mean, it was. It took me literally thirty seconds to subscribe to this old market. How long did it take you to update your iOS eight? Just curious. A long, a long damn time. time. It was. It was really annoying. Yeah, it wiped mine clean again. I. I I swear, I have a whole other thing with updating. I didn't want to update, but my son wanted me to, and. Uh, for whatever reason, he got excited and he took it off the power when it was updating and wiped it clean, of course. And now we had to start uh, all over again. But anyways, I digress with that whole thing. Well, the annoying thing is is that I have data caps on my and, – and don't get me on a rant on that, but I have data caps. And so updating three or four devices, I'm done. I'm done for the month, right? As soon as I update my wife's phone or my phone or, or you know, and a couple of iPads, I'm – finished for the month on my data caps it's like it's it's crazy oh that's uh, well yeah we can that's a whole nother podcast where we can yeah. talk about <laughs> that's updating a different podcast to iOS yeah. 8. exactly um, <laughs> the, the, here's the big opportunity and actually this is what i've learned by the number of people that came up to us at content marketing world and then at even an inbound these are your brand subscribers these are the that's people right. that okay so not everybody's going to listen to podcasts but a number do and the ones that do these are the ones that are listening for 20 minutes, 60 minutes to your content. They are really engaged in your brand. They're sharing your content all over. They'll they'll listen to whatever you have to say, whatever you put out. It's super, super important that we look at this for those brand subscribers that you talk about in managing content marketing. I mean, how do you – Well, there's an in- go ahead. There's an intimacy here. There's an intimacy here that is that is missing from blogging. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, the number of people who come up to me at – at events now at content marketing world when i go visit clients and they say i listen to your podcast and they'll mention something about the cowboys or they'll mention something about my life or my dog or something that i talk about here and there's a closeness there that i think that you really develop and i'm super happy about it i'm i I couldn't be more pleased with the response i've gotten from this show than than you know than any really any other mechanism for getting content out it's just weird that everything in the past couple years and nothing wrong with video i mean we all we both believe there's huge opportunities in video but i think we forgot the power of audio and we think about it from a marketing we talked about this when we go through our buyer personas for content marketing institute we are targeting marketers they're on the go in a lot of cases they're in the car or they're on the subway they don't have the opportunity to look at a screen and watch a video but they can do lots of things and listen and i think that's where the opportunity is so if you do your buyer personas and there's an opportunity there wow i mean and then plus the fact that it can be the starting stage for a number of ways to reimagine imagine your content and we do that well, well, right? So we'll do the podcast here. We'll do the show notes on Saturday. We've already done a number of, you know, we're looking at doing different ebooks associated with some of the things we've covered, you know, most popular articles, those types of things. So there's a lot of things that could be the kind of the kickstart for your entire program. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well, speaking of kickstarting our entire program here we have a wonderful wonderful sponsor to talk about yet again this week our favorite favorite sponsor uh, well we it's one of our favorite sponsors but it's probably our <laughs> it's probably our favorite well it's our favorite sponsor right now right today 
It is our, today. Well, they've been and, and Emma has been. They've been so wonderful. They've been so wonderful to support. They've us. sponsored the majority of our episode, uh, episodes, so yeah. we love having them. Emma, email marketing for the modern brand, featuring mobile responsive templates, social integration tools, and the all important concierge services. Uh, they were promoting this new service, and we talked about this last couple times, called One Great Idea, which is sort of the ultimate in customer service. So here's what you do: you send them a link to email marketing campaign and you give them your title and whatnot and they'll send you a totally doable tip for better results the next time so it's really pretty much free consulting so just go ahead register for it at bitly.com slash pnr dash idea that's bitly.com slash pnr dash idea and have the good folks at emma uh, help you with your email marketing i mean it's it's that simple it's so fantastic. It's I mean, it is what Jay Bear says. It's the content so good you'd pay for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So is, thanks to uh, Emma again, MyEmma.com, for helping us out, and uh, more to come on that. Very, very good. All right. Well, it is time for the show that everybody loves. It is time for our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that has been bugging us or something we want to show a little love to. And I have this old marketing uh, this week, so I will go first. And mine is a rant. It's a nice rant. It's a it's a it's, it's a, a nice it's a rant. rant. It's a it's a it's a soft, warm, fuzzy rant, I guess, of sorts. Um, because while I love the idea of what this woman wrote, I really just so disagree with it. Um, so this comes from Harvard Business Review, and it's a blog post uh, written by. May Lee, and I'm, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing her name. She is the vice president of marketing and digital marketing digital uh, for Condé Nast Entertainment, um, and she wrote a blog post called "Too Many Marketing Teams Are Stuck in the Past." And I, of course, that grabbed my attention right away because I'm all about that these days. Uh, my book is about it, and and it's just it's it's really where I'm spending a lot of times. And then I read it and was just like, as the more I read it, I just became increasingly like, no, 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 no. Because what she goes through is she starts to talk about her experience at J. Crew and others. So she says, really, there's sort of three overriding problems with marketing, all of which I agree, and the structure of marketing. She talks about the internal structure, about how most marketing teams right now are organized by either functional expertise, such as social media marketing or marketing analytics or brand. I totally agree with that. Um, the functional alignment, um, and where she says that a lot of marketing organizations right now, they're suffering from a failure of cross-functional collaboration. Couldn't agree with that more. I'm like, yes, go girl. And then meritocracy versus hierarchy. Yes, absolutely right. The brand people are sometimes looked at a little higher than the demand gen people, and there's sort of this idea. And all this sort of stuff she goes through um, in a relatively lengthy post here. The challenge is, is that her remedy for all of this is to separate out digital and reg regular marketing. Oh. Her, basically, she starts talking about how the digital organization, everybody should be digital first, and it should be a, there should be a chief digital officer and or a CMO. There needs to be a digital sort of look through things and that everybody should be segment, segmented into this sort of digital idea. And I just couldn't disagree with that more. I just that, – that is part of the problem is the fact that there is a vice president of digital marketing sitting in the adjacent cube to the vice president of regular marketing. This is where we are. The world is more than digital and digital is more of the world. And that is the critical point here is, is that we've got to infuse these things together and stop thinking about 
digital versus regular, digital versus offline, online versus offline. And we must get into restructuring, not in a here's our digital team and here's the other team, but rather here's our marketing team that works together cross-functionally on all things that are infused by digital. And it just, so, yeah, and I didn't comment on, I haven't commented on the post yet because I haven't figured out my, you know, <laughs> it's much easier for me to rant here than it you is know. actually for me to go through and comment. But that's, that's, it's, it's something that I just, I, I, I disagree. It's with. so interesting that all the comments agree with her. I know, and, I know, especially, our, and our, our friend Mark Schaefer says a superb and accurate analysis. And it's like, no, it's neither of those well, things. Well, I think, well, I think you can say the front, the, the, the first part, but the solution to your point, it reminds me of when, you know, let's see, this is back in the late nineties at Penton, of course, digital comes around. So we had print sales reps and then we, we created digital roles because we didn't think the print sales reps could get it. So we created digital roles and then that was a real problem because digital were compensated one way and only knew certain things. And then the print guys never, and gals, never understood digital because it wasn't part of their role. So they were out there just schlepping pages all the time. and didn't. They right. weren't even asking the right questions around digital because it wasn't their area. And then, shoot, this is probably in 04, 05, we came together and said, look, it has to be one role. We can have digital support people that understand certain things like analytics or online uh, online articles or webinars or something like that, but the salesperson needs to be responsible for all of it because if they're not, right. they can't truly understand the customer's needs. Right. So this this sounds now, like it's going back the other way. Uh, well, it's, you know, so, I mean, t- I'll, I'll just to be really clear and fair, and this is why it's sort of a warm blanket rant, um, you know, the, the soft and fuzzy rant here is because the very last line she says in the blog post you know, the, her very, very last line, she says, from this point on, the organization reorganizes its workforce strategy roadmap and investments to build a new marketing organization that fully integrates traditional and digital marketing in a sustainable way. I couldn't agree. I think that's perfect. I love that. That's great. But then it's just like the other 835 words that precede that sort of don't say that. That kind of says, you know, the opposite of that, which is we should separate out functions of digital and and let them sort of be a digital you know basically walk through the door with digital first and then and then and and then let the rest of the organization follow and i just don't, i can't get maybe there's a that. missing it's paragraph not. here because maybe it's a there i've seen it work in a, in a number of organizations where they do it temporarily just to get through because they're like okay let's create these roles and so they really own it and give them enough latitude uh, to go do their thing, so then we can right. later infuse that in the organization to become one again. I've seen right. that work. Well, I think, but and I th- and I think her point is is she's and I and I have seen this. I, I'll admittedly I've seen this. I think her larger point, if if and I hate putting words in her mouth, but but I think her larger point here is is that digital marketing right now is often deprecated in the organization as sort of this smaller thing that happens over in the corner. And she's trying to raise the prominence of it to the other sort of um, the other elements of brand. And, you know, and that's, you know, she speaks a little bit to that to, in the meritocracy and, and, and stuff, but, but uh, it's they're infused into this is still this idea that digital is separate and distinct from regular marketing. And I just don't, I, that I can't get behind Oh, my friend, my friend. Yeah. Shenanigans. <laughs> Shenanigans. Shenanigans, I call. Um, so I have a, a, uh, 
I think that I think we found our, our title for this. <laughs> the for title this of this post. podcast is called yeah. Shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, so this, you know, I saw this. Uh, po- this is a, a rave, and this comes from Digiday. Uh, it's called the Wall Street Journal's Guide to Making Great Native Ads, and it was. And I actually, it was sent by a number of people, but uh, thanks to James Gardner, good friend of the podcast always sends us great articles. Thank you, James. Oh yeah, absolutely. But basically say, said, you know, make sure that you watch the video. And I, I didn't, to be honest, I had just read it. And then I went through the video. So what I'm going to recommend to everyone listening is when you get a chance and you go to the show notes, go ahead and watch it's the video is 15 minutes long. And it's, it's basically from a digital conference where the journals, um, native programmers run, by a gentleman called Trevor Fellows. He, I think he runs uh, global advertising for the Wall Street Journal. And he goes over a really good overview of the challenges. And that's why I loved it. Because in so many cases, they're saying, oh, native advertising is, is a great opportunity for most brands. But what I love, Trevor starts out and he says, this is painful. This is painful for both brands and publishers. And let me tell you why. And there's a couple things that I wanted to point out. First of all, just talks about the key where what he finds out when brands come to him about wanting to do native advertising is internally they're not aligned. Internally, the marketers don't have an idea of why they want to do it. So what he says is the Wall, it's up to the Wall Street Journal and publishers in general to go and make sure they get all the marketers inside the brand they're working with on the same page as to why they're doing it and what metrics they're going to look at for success. He says it's rarely wow. – so isn't cool. that cool? I mean most of the time it doesn't happen. We say, oh, yeah, we'll do it. Let's go. But it's our responsibility to do that and align that. So that's the one thing. Um, the other thing is, and this is what I really loved, and there's a bunch of points he shares, but this is the only other one I wanted to share, was – he says it's the Wall Street Journal's responsibility to open the kimono and share with those brands wanting to do native advertising what's working, what's resonating, what's working with text, what's working with video, what they're measuring, and really say, look, here's how our audience engages in our content, and here's the things you need to think about to be successful. And I, and I know that a lot of publishers that offer native advertising don't do that. They, I mean, they might give a little bit of guidance, but they're not sharing with them metrics on what's working and what they would call an engaged piece of content and what's working based on the objective. So, so I mean, there are a lot of other things he covers. You can go through it. I would say go through the article and watch the video. But the one thing I liked about it the most is just a realistic portrayal of native advertising and that it's really hard to do and not, not easy at all. And you really need to, if you're a publisher especially, you need to make sure you have I would say key overview of why and how you are going to get into native and what your responsibility is going to be for the client and what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Or you end up with what happened at the Daily Mail and you're going to get those kind of things happening. So it's a really, really good piece. I'm going to have to go dive into that one. That's that's I love that. That's fantastic. All right. Well, we have a question um, from one of our faithful listeners, and we often talk about it at the end of the show, about how you can tweet us up and email us and all that kind of stuff. And so we want to honor that because we actually got a really good question from Brianna, and I'm going to mess this up at this. Why do, why do you all have very hard names to pronounce? It's very difficult for me. Well, we can't all be um, Rose. Well, there you go. <laughs> Her name is Bri- Brianna Coupland. 
K-U-P-L-E-N-T, Cuplent, if I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that correctly, Brianna. Um, and she asks the question to us, and she says she's seen Twitter and Facebook really move forward and toward a social e-commerce. Um, she mentions Twitter buying Cardspring and Facebook allowing users to buy products through the feed. And she really wants to know, as we move forward here, she still sees Twitter and Facebook as opportunities to build brand storytelling and, and really connect with consumers in a non-salesy way, a content marketing way. Um, but she worries and is concerned that if consumers are given the hard sell, so often with social e-commerce, what's going to happen to these platforms and opportunities? Will they still have the ability to truly connect with current and future customers? What, do you, what say you to that question? Mm -hmm. Mr. Well, we were talking about this before. I think, first of all, we need to question the premise as whether or not brands are con connecting yeah. with yeah. anyone, on, especially Facebook. Now, Twitter's yeah. different because Twitter is a broadcasting mechanism where people can share content that they like. I don't think there's any connection going on outside of the fact. I mean, there's some back and forth depending on, like, if you're – if you're, uh, you know, Delta, you're, you have some problems on your flight, <laughs> right. you can connect with somebody. I don't think that's what we're talking <laughs> about here. So I think that's the right. first thing we have to question the premise about whether or not that's for brand. I think that brands can use Twitter and Facebook and those things to broaden their digital footprint and hopefully build their audience. But I don't know if there's any connection necessarily going on. Would you do you agree with that or not? I totally agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think. I mean, I yeah, think. Yeah. Go I was ahead. just going to say the 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 second thing is it depends on what your goals are as a brand. I mean, if you are a if you're Amazon, if you're uh, if if you sell things, if you're a business to consumer company, and there and e-commerce is a good part about uh, part of your business model, then I think Twitter and Facebook doing this is good because more people can buy your wares in different ways. However, they become aware of it, whether it's coming from your friends or coming from someone else. And actually, I saw in Apple's recent um, quarterly announcement, they talked about the whole Apple Pay thing. And the boy, did the uh, financial people come out and say, this is just amazing. This is going to transform everything. And now Apple's going to be a, a trillion dollar market cap because they, right. they added Apple Pay. Well, Twitter and Facebook and Apple are going this direction because it's good for their business. Because people are going sure, to buy, keep people are are more likely to buy things socially than ever before online. They're going to do this. I don't know if that necessarily affects our content marketing program per se. I mean, how would you look at it? I, I think that's exactly right. I don't think it changes it for good, and I don't change think it changes it for bad. I don't think this has much of a change at all um, in what impact content will have across the social the uh, the social networks. Uh, you know, I think the larger trend of treating Facebook as a publisher rather than a community and looking at it as a place to put ads, the call to action to those ads will be, you know, quite frankly, different um, based on your, you know, it, one, some of them will be shopping and some of them will be come over to my own media platform where I'm hoping to engage you and, 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 and make something really interesting um, happen for you through content. Twitter's the same way. I don't see it. You know, there's so much content that flows through Twitter right now. I don't see this having a, a genuine uh, effect other than for those e-commerce uh, companies who are going to start populating part of their feed with coupons and um, deals and sales and stuff and have the ability to directly convert right from the social network, which I, which I think ultimately is a good thing. I mean, I, to your point, it's a good it's a good thing for the e-commerce providers, basically those that are providing the ability to buy, and it's a good thing for the social networks 
um, to be able to provide as well. So I, but I don't think this has a big effect one way or the other on 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 uh, on content marketing efforts through social. Well, I think just to to close this up, and, and Brianna, thanks for the question again. I, I think to close this, up, I think oftentimes brand we we as brands think that we are going to build a direct connection with somebody with our content through, let's say, a Facebook. I don't think it happens that way. It actually doesn't happen this that way in most cases. If we create, let's say we create really good content, really good stories on our own platform. Let's just say it's a blog or something like that. And we create content on that. And if we enable that to be shared through any platform that our customers want to share that at, let them share it. Because, because I'm going to be more likely to read an article that you share from HBR, Robert, on Facebook, then I will be cause from HBR. I'm right. just not going to. That's right. I'm not, but if you share it, that means something because you're putting your your person behind it, your credibility behind it. That's great. I think that's how it's done. So I think as a brand, I would be focused more on really building an owned audience through email subscription on your site, build that audience, and let your customers share that in wherever the way they want to share it to bring in new people and to reach people that you're not reaching. Yep, Absolutely. Absolutely right. All right. Well, let's move on to the last segment of our show, which, of course, is the namesake of our show, This Old Marketing. And I have a really quick one today um, because I don't know a lot of the results, but I do know what it is. And it is a great example of this old marketing, as it were. Um, it, this is in the spirit of talking about corporate blogs. And, and the article on corporate blogs got me to thinking about what is the oldest corporate blog out there? What is the oldest blog out there? So I started doing a little research and looking around and there's, you know, there seems to be some disagreement about this, but generally the consensus seems to point to this blog by Steve Jackson Games. This might be a hat tip out to Joe Kalinowski, our creative director, who I know is a big gamer. And uh, Steve Jackson Games is a game company uh, based around, they've been around since 1980, founded by, as you might expect, a guy by the name of Steve Jackson. He creates and publishes all these role-playing games, role-playing games, board games, card games, um, and has created a number of print magazines to support all of these games that they created. And, and, you know, if you go through the Wikipedia on their company, I mean, it's, you know, there's a dozen magazines that he's created since, you know, 1980 that have all supported. The key here is, is that he actually created a blog and he is generally considered to have considered, uh, created one of the very first, if not the very first corporate blog out on the web uh, called The Daily Illuminator. And it has run from 1994 which just amazes me. I mean, in 1994, I was still dialing up on AOL and, and, and trying to figure out my, you know, you know, interlaced GIFs and all <laughs> that kind of fun stuff and trying to figure out how to download the newest version of Netscape Navigator and, and you know, trying to remember my CompuServe ID number and all that kind of stuff. But here he has had this website and if you and you can actually go back through the archives which is just tremendously awesome you can actually go back all the way to day one they have all the archives based on the so you can go back to november of 1994 and actually page through the general blog post which were you know maybe 200 word blog posts at most um but it has been publishing since 1994 so quite literally what is that uh, 20 years um has been uninterrupted um, to the present day, running this running this blog that talks about all things gaming and all the new games that they've created, the, what they're talking about. It's a it's a little bit of a community that they have there. It looks very 1994, if, if I do say so <laughs> myself. Um, but it's just a wonderful example of someone who has taken the blogging 
uh, and the corporate blogging specifically and really just run with it for 20 full-on years. So a great example, I think, of this old market. And and what's really amazing about I'm I'm in 2006 right now. Like I'm just fascinated by the archives almost every day. Publish almost yeah. every day. That's really incredible. The it's yeah. I mean, they're I mean, not long. An, they're a, not long, but you know what? They're almost no, all no. helpful and they're almost all interesting. And it's been 20, 20 years. years I mean, that. 20 times 365. I mean, that's, you know, that's a that's a lot of blog posts, right? I mean, it's, you know, and the funny thing is is that it's now kind of hard to actually I was searching for his death story. You know, I found the Wikipedia article and I found his story, but it's really hard to find anything about the Daily Illuminator because when you do a search, you basically your Google feed is your search feed is filled with their posts, right? It's all it's basically you you know, they've they've talked about just about everything. So trying to find a set of keywords that doesn't come up with a blog post of theirs is actually pretty hard. Well, I, so. I do have to tell you that it looks like they went through two redesigns, somewhere around 2000 and then another one around 2005, which seems to be yeah. their current day. <laughs> Yeah, there you layout, go. Which will tell you when you go so, to the site and check it out. Don't expect too much, but hats off to them for 20 years of blogging. That's fantastic. Yeah, there you go. All right. Where are you going to be, Mr. Well, Blinzer? we are recording this your uh, Monday morning. And, uh, and thank you That's for correct. doing that, by the way, because I have to get on a plane here in a couple hours and fly to Ljubljana, Slovenia, the beautiful country. And uh, looking forward to seeing my friends. I'll be keynoting the Pomp Forum and what's awesome, I believe the Pomp Forum. Forum? That's P- called the P O M P Forum. It's basically their right. their con. Does it have lots of circumstance <laughs> as well? It's their content marketing event. And I originally did the. I, I believe it was. I think this is their fifth year anniversary. And uh, I was I keynoted their their first one, and they asked me back for the fifth year anniversary. And I'm happy to do that, and looking forward to seeing a good friend, some good friends over there on the way. So I'm uh, I'm ready That's to fantastic. do it. How about yourself? Where are you off to? I am actually uh, here uh, for the remainder of the week working on client work stuff and finishing up a lot of writing that I have to do. Um, and then uh, next week, Monday, I'll be recording, uh, when we do our regular recording, I'll be doing it from Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, as I'm going to speak at an A&A event um, with the CMO of Walmart. And I'll be speaking about all things content marketing at a Walmart conference that is being hosted by the a and in If you were in Arkansas. Bentonville and you weren't at Walmart, I was going to ask you what you're doing <laughs> in Bentonville. But... Yes. Well, sadly, I I thought it was going to be held at Walmart, so I was kind of excited about that. And it looks like no, it's actually going to be at some Embassy Suites hotel or something like that. So I'm a little sad. I'm about sure that. you'll be. Able, I say, so, I'm sure you can go to Walmart. They're looking for Walmart greeters there. I mean, you can uh, you can lend a hand. That's perfect. I, you know, can you get I a picture get of that? <laughs> if if I will definitely get a picture of that. And if I don't get an invitation to inbound next year, maybe that's where I can go work. <laughs> be a Walmart greeter. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And thank you, Brianna, for tweeting us up and emailing us at uh, at This Old Marketing. For those of you who would like to get your question answered, please know that you can. Just tweet us up and give a hashtag of This Old Marketing so that we see it. Or send an email like Brianna did to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. Also, if you like this episode number 45, we do hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links of the stuff that we talked about today are available in the show notes at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.